Hello, Sorensen Sound. To cap off the season, I wanted to give you a few updates. Uh, just as I have not been the best about checking in, and when I have, that's been just very on the spot, but because I've been doing more planned in advance interview-like sessions, as you all have just seen, uh, with Tazina, there's, oh, what was I going to say there? <laughs> um, there's a lot to catch up on, I guess is the point, my actual day-to-day life, um, or maybe the more overarching things. And something that I've kind of realized with all this reflection and inadvertent reflection where it's the end of, like, the finance episode or the end of the one I just did. I'm blanking on the name, so sorry. Um, but I'll realize, I'll be like, oh, like, I... Or Childhood 3, I think it was. I kind of realized posthumously that those things are coming to mind, something I want to talk about, um, discuss, put out into the world because it was kind of, like, closing up loose ends for my own self even though it's all rooted in the past just a mental little bow um so yeah just as I'm I'm finally packing I was like you know what I'll just do a typical me I'll pack on Friday I leave Saturday and it's weird because I have to pack for New York summer and Shanghai winter which is it's a lot um oh my gosh sweet puppy I've seen this puppy so many times and he never gets less adorable. I love, <laughs> I love him. It's a little pit bull puppy. And he just like kind of bounces around. Like truly, there's a little hop in the step. And it is the most endearing thing I've ever witnessed. But yeah, no, basically, I have also planned out season three just because I know once I get to New York and it's graduation for Gallatin, graduation for NYU. Uh, hosting, like, family, showing them around the city, trying to find a job, everything like that. I know it'll be busy, so I just want to chart out season three, especially because I will have a few guests, and I know that some people are going to be out of town, are going to be long distance. Long distance is a weird choice of words. That is kind of what out of town implies. Um, But I just want to start coordinating that kind of giving people time to think about what they might want to say for an hour-long session because that's kind of what I'm ultimately like gearing this last bit to be is I'm very passionate about sociology of the body also note it will be 12 episodes instead of 16 is because I do want to finish it by the end of the summer before I go on a road trip in August uh, through England and Wales with my mom as a like little last hurrah before my master's because living in Asia does mean that um, I won't really see her until Christmas and then after Christmas I probably won't see her until my graduation in Shanghai Um, you know and if the program does what it's supposed to then I'll be getting a job in Singapore or just in Asia but I'm deciding (laughs) Singapore as we know um So then I still won't be necessarily coming home unless there's some kind of, like, gap between employment. But that would not be ideal. (laughs) Unless I go stay with family and friends in Japan. But anyway. um, Which is possible.
possible, which would be fun. I would not complain, but I just like doing things as I'm able. So, just my little spiel. I'm trying to get everything in line. I'm trying to pack. I Last night, I was so ready. I was like, I'm going to do my whole suitcase, but I think I've touched on how my pro- how I prioritize things in the past is I have a tendency to do the things that are further out, like planning the podcast episodes. Yes, 12, not 16 this time. More effort, if you will. And at the end, I'm going to cap off with explaining my concentration because I do really feel as though the first 12 episodes will be necessary to even, like, kind of get what I'm saying. Um, just if you have no prior experience with sociology, let alone that of the body, which is a novel field and only really gained any traction in like the early 2000s. Uh, so she's, she's a young blossom. And yes, and then I also started packing my jewelry. And as I've noted before, I love jewelry. It's my, like, I love her so fun that's what I love to study most um so as you might imagine deciding that for the next year having my little I got (laughs) when I was in London London last year I got myself this like little five dollar jewelry case from Flying Tiger I think because I was like I don't really have one or the one I had was broken like the zipper I like couldn't fix it I tried I swear um, love, I love red I love hearts so it's like why not so just trying to fit it all in there trying to decide the kind of vibe for the next year is interesting so it's a lot of like I've also been mood boarding a bit and yes trying to get into the right headspace of deciding what I want to allow into my life what I want to curate because obviously there's things that are like that are just out of your control there's the chaos so just doing what you can so that you may let everything be or that's how I like to approach it anyhow I'm accidentally following this man around so both are just happening happen we both just happen to take the same path I'm out of breath so this is a good break for your sake Um, but (laughs) what was I gonna say? Oh my god, I think they're finally opening the Paris Baguette that was set to open like a year ago, right by the house. Because I now see like cases, the doors open, but I don't know if I just don't know. I think it's just almost open. They have cases out and stuff, which is kind of kind of nifty. Um, so yes, been attempting to decide that and. It's been kind of confusing because I believe I talked on this maybe with shadow work about how for a long time I was told I could only wear silver, but then I wore gold just because, you know, wanted to wait or reflect. Um, sorry, this is really annoying actually, because she's, you can, like I said before, you can tell when people are listening. She got those listening ears on. And it's windy, so you probably can't even hear. I was saying, and I feel like all nervous, all giddy, and I think that's also part of why I wanted to do another Talking Alone episode, paying homage to the first season as we 
wrap up the second, heading into the third for the summer. How many times can I hit that nail on the head? Um, oh, I'm just so nervous. You know, you and I, it's like we went on a first date and we haven't seen each other in a while and it's time for the second date. That's what we're doing right now. Just doing this silly little dance, except it's only me. Because uh, if you, if this is the first episode, if you're friend listening to the first episode, if you're a friend, then we have our own little dynamic. And I think it's probably part of why is because this is like, first season was pretty much just like, me, myself, and I. And then this season, it's opening those arms, closing those gaps, bridging connections. Uh, that's the goal. <laughs> and so I just, the dynamics kind of in, any dynamic is in free fall in a way not to be like dramatic but it's just to see me with the neutrality of how I talk initially to myself and then to an other um, it is definitely different because a lot of my friends I do have a tendency to take like specific roles with because that's how that goes <laughs> I think on some level is just like what do you tend to talk about with the person? Where do you overlap? That's always going to be different. And there's nothing like wrong with that. And that's why I think a lot of people have different friends that they go to for different things or whatever. I don't know that I really, at least consciously, I don't do that because, um, with the exception of like the spirituality stuff, because I know that some of my friends, it's just like, that's not part of their world and that's not something yeah that it's just its own quartier its own neighborhood um, its own zip code postcode whatever you want to call it what do we call it a zip code postcode does make more sense um, but anyway wrapping up work this Friday just have to shout out the fire mango stickers I had down the street from my job today. I'm really sorry I didn't find it earlier because I would have gone a lot more often because it's genuinely like good Thai food, which in the U.S. is kind of like hard to find to some degree. Um, very grateful that there's a lot in Chicago, but in New York, it was kind of like a mission. Like it took me most of college to find go-to Thai. And, but we're here, we move. And now... Now we're literally about to move. But it's also been strange because this is not my childhood bedroom, but genuinely my cat, Graystripe, like petting her, having her like sleep with me most nights, everything like that. It makes me feel like a little girl again. <laughs> it makes me feel like very at home in a disconnected way. I saw this guy taking the same route, making the same turn yesterday. Very different vibe of music. Yesterday was a little more. I don't know, reggaeton, if you will. Um, it just was. <laughs> I don't know why I said, if you will. I have a tendency to soften my decisive speech so that way I cannot be told I was incorrect, even when I know that it's just what <laughs> something was. Anyway, back to the origin of that <laughs> pivot. Uh, not origin, they're rather unrelated. One was grounded in thought, one was grounded in the physical. Uh, <laughs> is it nervous? I'll push it. I'll put this out anyway. Gotta push through. 
Uh, but, yeah, no, it's just, just weird because it's not my childhood bedroom, have no connection. And now I'm like, oh, I'm, like, really going to miss my cat. Genuinely crying about it sometimes. I will miss them both. But it's just, I, Graystripe is a lot older than Ivy. And so she's been, like, I, I've had, we've, we've had each other in our lives since we were both Waynes, if you will. And it's so, like, jarring to me that uh, Graystripe is getting, like, kind of old. Like, she's 14, I think. Um, and for a yeah, that's pretty old, but she's still so young, and I don't know if that's because of Ivy, so I feel bad separating them. But at the same time, they do just, like, fight a lot. Not anything aggressive, but it's also just not the kind of camaraderie she had with the cats we had before Ivy, where they were genuinely so, like, sweet and loving. So, but I digress. If... I also just really, my mom made a good point that Graystripe just would not like the flight to China because um, it's just very long for a kitten and she would get so stressed because she hates cars as is. Uh, so, but maybe I'll get a cat there. <laughs> Who knows? I'm heavily considering it, honestly, because that's the one thing that, like, my fears have not quite been quelled upon. I'm very excited to move to a place where I know nobody halfway across the world. Uh, But at the same time, I'm just like very aware of how much effort I'm going to have to put in to like establish my routine and find people that I care about. Um, And I hope that's easier because I'll be doing like a master's program. So I will have touch time with the same like small cohort of people because I believe there's only 24 of us and I think we all take like every class the same as the other um so just hoping that we all get along at the very least but I do want to make like local friends because to me that's kind of the point in a lot of ways of living other places just to like I said very (laughs) enthusiastically that that is how you become a part of a city foster community instead of adding a layer of unknown happenstance to it misunderstanding lack of engagement yada 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 Um, and I just want to know where the good food is I'm so excited for that but I also like I think I've said this before I really just don't know what I'm getting into and I will definitely do more research but I don't, like, on some level, as much as I could look up how big the city is, and I have, I don't, I never have a good grasp of that until I'm actually in a place, because it doesn't, like, mean a whole lot in a lot of ways, because especially if a city is, like, rather large, if it's, like, Tokyo Massive or London, where there's so many zones, and there are still zones, there's always, like, a central area, and I don't really know how to engage with that locally yet even if I could look up like what's the touristy bit what's you know there's just some degree of like you have to be there to really let it sink in and knowing this stuff going so far in advance and not having a lot of information to work on or work with rather is stressing me out 
is a place-oriented individual who cares about being respectful. Uh, so that's my take with that. Oh, but what I was going to say is, and I will also get back to the childhood bedroom thing, is that as soon as I went to London, that very much felt like where my life was happening. And the like, friends that I made there who lived like all over the city, again, different zones, different neighborhoods, what have you. Um, I came to really like particular areas. My favorite, Bermondsey, easily. I love Bermondsey with my whole heart. Um, so it's kind of like when I get excited, I guess the way that I kind of identify home is like, where would I be excited to show someone around? Like, where could I craft fun days ahead? Where could I see a fun life, in other words? And for me, like, that is largely in London as a place that I have been to. And I do just, like, easily see that with Singapore, too. I guess it's kind of why I want that to be the next place, because whenever I move, I want to go somewhere where I can explore. With, like, I like to have some knowledge. I do have some knowledge now <laughs> that I've been. Um, but I just want to, you know... <laughs> No, probably not. Um, but I could see that being a place where I'd be excited to show people around, as I already currently am with London, and will always be happy to go back, and would love to live there again someday. But basically, my mom and I have the itinerary for a road trip plan in August, but I kind of just want to, you know, uh, deviate. I have the plan laid out because she likes to plan. She likes plans, even though we seldom follow them. But I kind of just wish that I could just be like, follow me day. And I could just show her all the places that I think she'd really like. And that's also the fun part about being so place oriented is like, ah, oh, I could see this flow of a walk taking us to all the places they would love to go. And then their image of the city will be like places that you overlap on that and they can always feel connected to. And I don't know if I vocalize <laughs> that well it sounds silly um, I kind of feel all over the place but in my defense I did not it like four hours last night because I also ended up writing a bunch that's what I was going to say that'll be my tie back to <laughs> I became the waiter listening to the people but <laughs> uh, <laughs> where did that go oh so packing is like the more far out thing, but in addition to planning the podcast, I also ended up just like writing a bunch of silly little poems. Uh, the thing with poetry is like I, I'm confident in my writing, like more prose than poetry. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I just like to do it for fun, a little hobby. I like to play with words, and honestly, a lot of my approach to poetry is very much framed by music and just like, just <laughs> because it is like Alex Turner's lyrics in particular um, I just have always thought they had a very strong poetic edge to them which makes sense because he's inspired by a lot of poets he loves those guys um, you know those guys <laughs> and, so it makes sense and I just like kind of playing with the way he writes because 
everything he says has a very clear situation that it could be applied to, it seems, or it feels rather directly about some very particular instance which you could never possibly actually place or, like, pin because it's so, to the point, so forthright and descriptive, but you could, it's easy to place yourself within them. I don't know how, I'm not, I'm not speaking well. Please forgive me. Um, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't know if, if anyone's experienced this, but <laughs> in an interview, they ask you a question and you blank and then you realize you're blanking and then you just fuck up harder than if you tried to stumble through. Um, this happened to me like once or twice. And it's, it's rough out there because it's the kind of like slippage from flow almost or of like conversation and moving back and forth with that dynamism that <laughs> you just feel uh, a little. <laughs> I hope you can hear that. Um, there's a guy watching some TV on his balcony. It's a little funky. Um, it's so weird. <laughs> anyway, that's what I feel like this whole time. That because I'm just I'm just trying desperately to cling into not falling into that pit, that abyss of a reckoning. That this is now my reality, where I simply halfway stumble through everything because I didn't plan it at all, other than writing poetry, and it's fun, and I'm probably bad at it. But I don't care, because how else are you going to get better other than to write? And if something like this is, for me, pretty pure form of just expression, then as long as I'm getting able to get at what I am feeling for myself, then I don't care. <sighs> slay. Slay all day. My stomach has been so messed up the last, like, two weeks. <laughs> I think I'm just getting anxious about everything. <laughs> going back to the city about leaving. And even though I don't quite have ties here, my favorite co-worker, he left yesterday for vaca vacation. I didn't realize it was the last day, so I, want I had a book I wanted to give him. Um, our wife fish don't exist, Lulu Miller, who I have referenced before in her podcast. Um, so now, no can do, but that's fine. That's okay. Um, but that means that I just have no, I like nothing except time to reflect while I'm at work, even when we're busy. I'm usually have to be like half tuned in because he talks a lot, which I appreciate. Um, but <laughs> this means that I'm back to the kind of like reflective mood where it's a little subconscious because I'll just like tune in to whatever I'm thinking every once in a while. I'm like, that's kind of a weird thought. <laughs> Uh, and it's just like watching them pass and sometimes one will just stand out. So, but I'm also grateful for that timing because then I don't just have to go into graduation frazzles and I can actually be present because I went to dinner with my mom last night. There's a place in Raleigh called Molina. It's really good, highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> they feel like a tiramisu. I always order the tiramisu the same time as my entree. Shut up, helicopter. And they never believe that I want them to come out together. And I'm just sad every time. Because I would eat the tiramisu first. I would. Why don't they? Why is that? Why? Let me. Please. 
I say this for a reason. So fucked up. Um, but I digress. <laughs> and she was just like, yeah. Uh, we were talking about my family that's coming. And uh, my aunt is going to be there. And uh, we just didn't know she was going to be able to come because of family stuff. But I'm really excited to be able to show her around because that's like my mom. She's I've taken her doll. She has her favorite places. We have the the spots we hit that I've mentioned before as I plan to do with in London with her for her whatever to give her places I like that I think she will as well. She has those in New York, but my aunt doesn't. And I do have other family members going, but they're mostly coming in for like a day, not always the most adventurous people. Probably not <laughs> too much other than like graduation, grad dinner, etc. Uh, so, but I know that my aunt likes to explore and I've been bookmarking places in my head to take her since I set foot on Silo Island of Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> so now she gets that, she will have to unleashed for her because as much as my mom, my aunt and I, like we have a certain, we work very well together traveling and it, cause that's just how my whole life has been. Um, they're, like, they're still obviously different people. Whenever I do things with just my aunt, it does look different than what I do with just my mom. And I think it'll also be fun to, like, because my mom always just has places that she just goes to. Or she has, she has her goes, go-tos, if you will. Um, that. I think it'll be good for her to branch out as well as little farewell because she does she doesn't really like New York. She thinks it's, like, dirty, gross, whatever. Um, just, like, too bad. Um, but this is something I didn't finish my thought on before. Imagine that, me not finishing a thought. Is, like, setting foot in London, I no longer very really felt connected to New York. Um, like, literally just immediately being able to explore with such fervor, doing such so much on my own, building such a strong community. I realized that it's only because I was able to do that in New York and gain that confidence in a new place in that way without having it be connected by touchdown, without being fostered by childhood companionship, anything like that. Um, that it's only because I had those, like, that time of struggle, which is not inherent to New York. It's one of those things where it's like everywhere you go, there you are, you know, um, after leaving Boston, which was a really tough time. And then it's like, oh... There's some things that it's me, but also some things, sometimes it was Boston. Um, <laughs> so, a lot of it was Boston, I'll be honest. It's a very, like, beautiful place, but it was just small in a way that I didn't work well for me. And that's okay, because I allow my friends to stay there and adore it. So each their own. Crazy how that works. Um, but because it was... Well, it was like a lesson for me. It doesn't feel like home the same way that, like, when I imagine going back, like, anytime I go to visit London, that feels like going back to me, if that makes sense. And I don't have that sensation of going back here for, to, like, to Raleigh Durham, um, just because I've never had that connection. It's more, like, kind of a chore in some ways, where it's, like, Sometimes I'll, I, like, I've come here to Catsit for times, whatever. I've come here 
to take care of my mom. And those are things that I'm happy to do, but it's not of my own volition. Again, no life here. Um, but I have, because I found comfort, as I alluded to many, many episodes, maybe a season ago now, where I was just like, oh, resisting doesn't mean that you won't, like, you shouldn't still lean into finding routine, living your life, even if it's not your place, you know? Uh, so, my cat, very big part of that. Love my girl. And there's a lot of things in my room where this has kind of been the weird realization in some manner is that I want to bring them with me because I'm kind of like, oh, it won't feel like my room without these, even though some of them are new. Um, some of them I haven't are new and like got them in my travels or was my grandfather's or was my grandmother's and now it's my room. Um, but so it's not always necessarily new, it's new to me is kind of what I'm insinuating. Uh, but I want to bring them with, and I'm kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe. I also have a lot of stuff still in New York, because um, I, like, left it with friends, whatever. Uh, and so I'll have that for the summer, and then I'll have to bring that to Shanghai, but I'll be presumably starting my, like, life after that, and I do still plan to travel every few years, maybe, like, properly move every few years. <laughs> So it's kind of weird to have to allocate what I can bring that far in advance right now. Feeling like Taylor Swift, this girl planning albums and tours two years in advance so that there's you know, space and, and whatnot. Um, also, I'm very excited for Speak Now, but it's been so misleading. I was like 1989. I do, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like something was delayed I feel like um, Midnight's supposed to happen earlier and Speak Now was supposed to happen earlier because there was a point like in the winter that it seemed like Speak Now was going to drop, but if she did break up with Joe Alwyn in the winter as it seems, then it would make sense that she had to delay it for like, personal reasons because everything else about like what's going on in her life is giving City Girl Taylor, it's giving 1989 Taylor, uh, the jewelry, a lot of the implications have been perplexing to say the least. So, just, those are my thoughts. <laughs> and I'm sweating. It's not even remotely as hot today as it has been this week. So, but it's just because I, because it's not as hot, I left my jeans on from work rather than changing into like shorts or a dress or whatever. Um, as I'm usually want to do. I think I'm also nervous to call my friends today because I do get nervous before like each of these episodes. I don't know if I address that in mid-season outtakes, but it's a little, I get a little antsy. I'm like, oh, hey, because it's again, that kind of like, in a way, free fall of normal spaces of interaction. It's just like, like here, where I'm talking to myself, I feel a little bit of pressure. But in those, I like, I don't know. It's not professional, but it is like slightly more refined conversation, which is because most of my friends, like, that's not spaces which we work in, except for academic and or like writing in particular with some of my amigos. 
talking, like, small talk or charting a conversation in a direction that you know is more accessible for somebody else because they could talk about the minutia of the mundane forever and, like, that shared aspect, even if you know that your, like, mental life exists somewhere else or that there is just those differences, like how I kind of alluded to earlier with, like, some of my friends have a more spiritual world and I... Just because I don't talk about that with all of my friends doesn't mean it's not there for me, and it doesn't mean that whatever I do talk about with them has any less value. Um, it just means that we chart the land of the mundane more easily sometimes. So it's just this feeling of like being able to be talk about the weather, being able to talk about like at work saying like oh my god these like regulars came in with a friend today or oh my god I did this stupid thing that you always do and it's just those kinds of illusions that don't really mean much you could like we know that work there we know that the people that came with the new friend they just moved here and we know that like the stupid thing that they do that you do just means that you spend time together and now even the worst habits are rubbing off and so it's, it's also becomes like in-group, becomes like relevant touch time, whatever. But it's also just accepting that like lives outside of work are obviously so, it, it's just to me like a form of acceptance, I guess. Being able to talk about those other things is like, to me, that's a big sign of respect for whatever you do in your free time, if that makes sense. Whatever you do when we're apart in a friendship um, or a relationship, whatever, uh, it's if we just talk about the things that we know that we cross paths on, then that doesn't make it, that's no more shallow or in-depth than if you listen to season three and you understand what I spend a lot of my time thinking about, what I've spent years studying, that's no, just because no one has Literally, I realized, other than the people who are on my board for my colloquium, I've never explained my concentration at length properly to anybody. Uh, just because it's one of those things where it's like you need a lot of background information, even people who have done something similar. It's, it still just takes a lot of time. And it, to me, it's in many ways just like if, if you're not going to, if you don't already exist in the same academic realm, work, if you will, um, then like what's the point like showing interest in someone else's hobbies doesn't always do anything you know it could be nice for the sake of quality time if like you're in a very close relationship with somebody and you just want to see more of them but they spend a lot of time doing something you don't quite understand then then maybe you do get into that but otherwise it's like I'm okay with that being there. And if you talk about it, I'll be interested, but you don't have to have the same interest as people is kind of what I'm going for. I'm not explaining very well. I'm suddenly nervous because somebody oh, pause. It's kind of nice but some people are very like eager to say hello to you here. And in this epidemic of loneliness, as they say, specifically in men, um, it's so sad. That there, what's that statistic that at some great majority of men have less than three close friends, you know? 
And that's just, like, there's nothing wrong with having a few friends, but specifically, and, like, if as you are socialized for greater America, that's, like, difficult. And that's why, like, male suicide has been on the rise for so long. Because it's just, it's made to seem lonely, and you're made to feel as though certain ways you're supposed to act. Gender. It's a construct. And the constructs keep you down. And they're not even, like, real. They're not even... <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're not real. But I'm trying to say is that whatever your particular image of a man is, that's yours. That's not everyone's. You get it? Not everything. Mainly because lived experience. I'll explain that better. But basically, even though we have generalized concepts of gender, it's just yours. Whatever you see, that's just your perspective of it. You know what I mean? That's not, like... It's not real <laughs> at all. <laughs> and that's confusing, and especially if you're not in a place where, like, sociology is accessible, then you're not going to ever have the language to talk about how weird it is. Because it is strange. It is. It is, it is. And then you don't even have friends, and that's so sad. And so much of America is so rural. So it's just work, just puritanical values. We're not Puritans. Oi, I'm so sweaty. My phone is going to die. And I love the benches of Inishirin. And it's great. And yes. Also, side note, I I don't know how I'm going to go into this, but this is what I'm going to say, apparently. is like, I'm not used to feeling angry in general, let alone I'm, I've genuine I've been frustrated with people but I cannot recall being mad at a person like before <laughs> really um, and in the last year that has that has occurred and I couldn't really figure out why I was angry <laughs> or like I knew at face value why I was angry but just what made this different if you will and I think it's because this kind of goes back to the episode, I think it was one of the birthday ones, where I was like, oh, like, one of my friends, like, respects me, and that's kind of uncomfortable. And it was because I realized that I had a respect for this person. And they very much dismantled it. They very much did the worst thing that I could imagine. Um, and it came to fruition. And it's just, like, in a way, with any human being it's kind of what I've said before with like any character trait that you could skew as positive or negative it doesn't get any less valid but that like their potential action is always the same as well like for however great their this could be it's also how horribly it could go and that's why like people will be like oh warn against passions or something like that and always they're like, oh, work for this steady thing. Because if it's steady, that kind of, it's like a controlled median more. Or there's like less great fluctuations, less great fluctuations, less great highs, less low lows. But I do, I do kind of feel like that is wrong in some sense. Because it's, I don't think they share I don't think they share a zero, if you get what I'm saying. I think that the 
dips and the rises may not be as grand, but I think the center exists more near the top of the passions, if that makes sense. So it's like neutral is not zero. If we're talking like zero to 100, and then it goes to negative 100 too, the middle for like working hard probably goes like up over time because you have to build a relationship with anybody. Um, just as like I'm sure the highs and the lows get bigger with the more extreme relationships. Uh, but it's probably like sometime into these things then I really want to honestly slap the laptop closed of this asshole. Um, if you can hear it like a block in any direction you're no longer doing it for your own hearing sake you know what I mean um, not to impose my waiter effect standards onto others but um, yeah so once it's progressed if the highs and lows are 100 and negative 100 then the neutral is probably 75 for the other or like 80 and then you could have a sustained 90 and it'll dip to maybe 70 but it'll always be like and it's not because they don't have the same fluctuations of like the potential the skews potential for the positive and negative traits and associations but it's probably just because of the way they um fit if you will i'm crossing the street and someone else crossing the street and i hate it here because i did this so that i wouldn't have to pause and i'm gonna have to pause because i'm taking a divot because i'm clearly talking on the phone there's someone crossing this and i would like to scream because why would you do that why would you <laughs> i know it's done i don't actually care i'm just stalling now because i don't want to pause so my phone's gonna die and i want it to process before it dies um <laughs> i'm a mess i'm so fucking anxious. Um, oh god. So basically, um, this person is someone where it's like the potential for the worst was always there, and not that it isn't with everybody, but it's like when you curate what you think about and you spend time with people and you understand their curations, you understand their routines, you understand what they don't think about you kind of understand what they do think about if you ask people. It's also kind of amazing. Some people just don't ask. Like, oh, what are you thinking about? <laughs> it's just, it's kind of funky. They're just like, just charging in blindly. It's fair enough, but it's just, it's a strange condition. Um, oh my God, Cardinal, hey. He's <laughs> doing a little circles, cute. Um, but... Oh God, where is that going? Oh, so like with most people, you will understand in a day-to-day -day sense what is possible in some way. And like anything's possible, but what are the chances? It's probably gonna be something in a place that they have it, with actions that they have it. And so some people, it's like, oh, they could have, like I could really admire their day and but there's, you just understand that contextually there's always some possibility. And some possibilities are greater or worse, sir. Worse, sir. I said it. I said what I said. Um, <laughs> and 
is on those things where it's like, oh, like most days you're doing like what it seemed, what you seem capable of in the most positive sense, like displaying the best skews of these same attributes. And the attributes stay the same, but it's just if it's a high positive or negative skew in accordance to a daily habit place action. And then you kind of expect them to always uphold the positive skew of a trait. So then when they don't, when they do, not only not even uphold it, but all of the traits skew for the worst. Oh my God, it's rough. And then you're angry because it's like, there is always potential in either direction. You upheld it, how could you? Whatever. And so as much as you could be angry about the event itself, it's also just like a disappointment. And for me, I found anger as a way to stand up for myself, never towards someone, but just as like, I'd be like, oh, I feel a little fiery pit because I can like, I want to stand up for myself. And I never act out of anger. Never. I know. Well, with this person, yes. Um, and that's not excusable to me because that's not something I agree with. But anyway... Um, I, I just use it as a cue. Like I said, emotions as feeling or as like hunger. It's a sign of what to do, not to just perpetuate. Uh, so I'll be like, oh, I'm angry. Why am I angry? And I know that when I feel anger, it tends to be because it's like I want to stand up for myself. And that was something that I just never wanted to do. And I've always had always been fine with being misunderstood. And that's why I just never, I just didn't talk a lot or like express anything and now I want to actually engage because then I realize that it's also it's not a like holy removal it's just a removal and so that's why I'm trying to engage but that's a grander thing I'm not going to go into depth on because that is a very uh, surface level explanation of what I'm getting at so Back to the point, uh, deep. Oh, feeling anger at someone, I think isn't like, because you kind of, I think it comes from, maybe just for me, but I, I, I just never experienced it till now. I had never been angry at somebody properly. <laughs> um, is because it's just like, wow, like that is, like that's just so disappointing, you know? And then that's what the debriefed anger boils down to. Um, and it's a lot more easy to manage. To me, anger is kind of like biblical of a, of a state for, for me anyway. Um, and I was just, like, just rage. <laughs> and not, like, oh. And it's, as an INTJ, rage is like an interesting thing because a lot of my feelings are slower. They are more sustained. They are more like... It's not, I'm not that rash of an individual despite being an Aries. It's the more, it's the Mars, it's the, the planning guy approach, if you will. Uh, but, what was I gonna say? Uh, oh, but it's just like, it's a lot easier to manage the disbelief than it is to stay in a pure unprocessed state of like rage and it's easier to see someone as human rather than like a pedestal in hell <laughs> that the 
attributes might go between. And if nothing else, if you are feeling anger, then you do feel wronged. And that's kind of, like, silly, because ultimately, I've, like, nothing is about you. Even this thing, it's still just, like, an image you had of a person. Man, it's that image that you're mourning. There's some ego involved. Deal with that shit. And it's like, but I feel this thing, and I have to honor this thing that I feel. It's like, yeah, just figure it out. And so I realized that for a while, like just in my own head, until I was writing things that I had been living in kind of a silly little wounded animal state. Just kind of lashing out a bit. I had like people completely unrelated. I was like, ah, I gotta face this, don't I? So I didn't even realize I was scared until this additional anxiety kind of like was prompted. The initial anxiety just being, um, whatchamacallit, the moving stuff. As it were, finding a job, yada, yada, yada. Finding an apartment sublet, which I still haven't signed for, um, even if it seems good to go. So just mildly concerned. I'll feel better once it's done, and then I'll feel better once I'm moved in. So I'm just trying to think about it. That doesn't always work, does it? It's crazy. Crazy life. I want to keep walking, but it's going to die, and then will I be able to convince myself to walk more? I don't know. Um, so the gist of that is if you feel anger and you, or any emotion, understand your relationship with that emotion. Understand if it's about the concept of other about your ego, either I mean either way about your ego, but if it's more internalized, externalized, unpack, debunk, debrief, you'll feel better. And it's not like there's no disrespect to your feelings involved. There's not like you're not letting yourself down in the process to let go of something. You're just moving on with your life because to stay wound up is to stay in a past moment. And sure, like, you'll think about it. Sometimes you think about the past, and it's, that's the whole shadow unpacking. That's part of why it's important to deal with it now, because otherwise, any time you experience a similar emotion or something triggers you, even if it's not, like, a trauma trigger, per se, um, then you'll just immediately be brought back to this wound-up mindset. And so if you unwind it, then you're not already starting at an elevation that's somewhat unmanageable or was so unmanageable that you let it be. And I think that's a big part of like how I've realized also that a lot of people are just horrible communicators. And because I didn't care about being misunderstood, I didn't really realize that until I tried to like get a point across. And so many people would be like, they just jump on you. And it's like, I have said nothing about you. I've literally been explaining my perspective on how I feel. Shut up, you know? Um, and, and it's like, or giving advice, like I give my mom some advice and that, or she'll be telling me about how this thing's going with this person or like, oh, this person's annoying her. And I'm like, well, like I, I under, it's like always important, especially, so it's always important to like, point out, like, reiterate that you understand where the other person's coming from, and I'll be like, mama, like, I know that this, I know that this is what you meant, um, and you would hope that this other person does, but because they're involved in this, I kind of see how they could take it this way, and some people just, like, 
drill because they want what they say to be the right thing, that that is when they will not relinquish, that it could be interpreted another way, as anything could, because nothing has fixed meaning, and just trying to be, like, open and trying to have a conversation rather than just, like, always drilling it down. It's been fun. It's been fun playing neutral guide there. Or <laughs> more neutral guide. I'm trying to be, like, yeah, like, I'm glad you said this thing for yourself, and I'm glad you set up this boundary, um, but the way you did it might imply other things, so maybe also just state this or this as, like, a caveat or a continuation, a continuing thought, if you will. So just, a lot of people are bad at communicating, and because I guess I had a tendency to be dismissive, tendency to, like, tune things out, be like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever, do what you want. Um, I'm now just effectively pacing in front of houses, because I don't want to be too far from my charger, <laughs> so I might go in. But yeah, unpack, uh, assess if you're communicating properly, and that is also, very quickly, I do, I've, I, I'm not going to be, uh, it's not planned to talk about it in the sociology episode, I don't really know when it would come up, but good old-fashioned oral communications gossip the philippines uh because the what is it is it cheese culture i don't i feel like that's truncated um but it's just like the like very gossipy um that's why there's like no serial killers because they just always get caught because someone will be like oh my god did you see like how weird and suspicious that was and that's kind of fun thing about gossip is that it's also like that but then and things like this, like just talking about the ways in which we communicate, you get these other perspectives that, while not unbiased, the bias is what, in this case, like conversations with my mom, like these biases that I have towards like aiding neutrality rather than like, I mean, there is a blind faith in like, I want her to communicate how she feels, but then it's also, you know, actually communicating is at risk if it's just how you feel, because then it's, it's still coming from that fe- place of fear where it's just digging your heels in all the time because you were never listened to, but then you're not listening to anybody else. And so it's just like gossip, talking about things, talking about things with other people. That is how you build community. That's how we grow. And that's how we learn to do things differently. And you can like reject that. You can be like, yeah, I understand, but I want to go forward with this. And that's still valid. Because at the end of the day, it's all perspectives. And this is actually secretly about me not accepting edits on my work sometimes. But that was such a revelation that I didn't have to accept what other people edited. Like, professors, I was like, no, this is what I meant. Thanks. Um, because I am, uh, I argue with writers a lot, but in the margins. But I think that is important to, like, understanding your own perspective. And there ain't nothing wrong with it. Not that I ever said there was. Not that anyone should have said such a silly thing. Um, this is muddled at best unpack your emotions make them more manageable see people as human Uh, because when you don't it's about your ego it's about your perspective it's about you when it wasn't about you Um, gossip those are the takeaways Um, meet commune in place uh, find new people to commune with, then you find new place. Um, sometimes you can do the research and you're still n- nervous. And what do you do about that? You keep living. 
L-I-V-I-N. Whatever the fuck. I think it's from Outer Banks. I've never seen... Well, actually, I saw, like, a few episodes. Um, and then I gave up. Uh, but I think that's what I've shown. Like, that audio that's in a lot of videos. I don't know. So that's the gist. Love beams. Sorry that I'm a mess. But this is... Well, I'm not sorry. All right, well, for you, I am. Because I would like to think that I have been outputting a higher quality than what you are currently receiving with this. Whether or not you consume it, this is the reception. We're getting married. <laughs> this is the first reception. I could have gone something like a phone joke, but no. I said, we're getting married. Um, so, yeah. And unwind. Spend time in your life, not in the past. Spend time looking at little turtles, touching the leaves, feeling the grass. Touch grass, that's what I'm telling you. So I'm telling myself that I do, but I'm also sweaty. <laughs> Keep walking. Okay, love memes. Lovely people, we continue. Um, I'm hoping my mortal enemy, man, playing sounds out loud. Which I normally would never care about. But we have to moralize the situation, don't we? We always do. Which is what I have come to talk to you about. What a great intro. I know. By intro, I mean continuation. Because I, as always, can't shut up. But that's not my fault. I have thoughts. Not thoughts, but thoughts. Is that a little dragonfly? Hello, fellow. Um, obviously, like, as a child, this complete side note, just to start off strong. Um, as a child, we're obviously smaller, so things seem bigger in comparison. But I played soccer or football. I played every sport. Um, not everyone, but plenty. I did my share of athletics. <laughs> a diverse array, a holistic approach. But I distinctly remember there was this one soccer game in the middle of nowhere. One, there's no bathroom, so that was the first time ever. It went to the restroom in the woods, and <laughs> I was so scared. And then I got on the field, and there was a little dragonfly, but it was a big-ass one, and I was a little kid, and I was so scared of that dragonfly. And I could see it in such detail because I got so close. And it definitely, it's definitely a little large, but it was probably only a little large, but to me it was gigantic because, you know size <laughs> sizing but anyway i'm almost done with why fish don't exist there's one more chapter but i had a lot to say about this and there's a lot of it which i will not cover because i do plan to touch on some of it um from a slightly different perspective in um season three but um and if you just like if you want to know about uh, David Starr Jordan, then just read the book. Like, he's a big taxonomy guy, big leader in that, but also a leader in eugenics. Boo hiss. I'm in a depressive state because of reading this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all about, like, a lot, at this later in the book, they talk about how. I, li I knew about a lot of this. I didn't realize that so much was accredited to this particular man. So at least I can tunnel my anger somewhere. Uh, anger, woo! <laughs> um, 
Um, <laughs> but it's like forced sterilizations that happened all through the 1900s in the U.S. and how she, she being Lulu Miller, did not realize that so much of Nazi Germany was modeled after the U.S. And I was like, like what? <laughs> and this time, like these, that uh, you remember. Chicago's a bubble, a little leftist bubble. <laughs> um, but in case you didn't know, now you know. And there's so many instances that are so overwritten. And I'm someone who, like, not only has been exposed to this through, like, peer groups and my own, re- but also my own research, um, which I've done rather extensively into these topics because eugenics is, like, an, env- an environmental science, which is something I'll get into a bit just not necessarily today is like there's in many like varying fields sciences social sciences like hard sciences whatever um the idea of like what is quote-unquote natural varies a great deal even within like jargon and implications of such verbiage um it's like a hot topic for debate in a lot of ways because of things like this because of things like eugenics which were argued to be natural for more or less and they're like it's the way it is um i think an exact phrase was there's like the oh god i'm gonna pronounce it wrong (laughs) um because i'm wrapped up i underline a lot of things Ah, ah, ah. but basically yeah of course Oh, heritability of morality. Too many itties and no titties. Ugh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, um, but it was just like this idea that it, it, because the U.S. specifically, uh, as I was saying before, is genuinely like based on puritanical ideas and puritan values if you will so it is just a highly moralized society and it just happens that what we moralize is work like a capitalist endeavor we moralize to be good that is just like that that, that's not speculation that's not really up for debate that is simply how things work and how they are organized how they have been structured and why it's such a like uniquely weird country in so many ways and how it's kind of hard to even like (laughs) so like Amazed at something as simple as like a European standard and how they could idealize Scandinavian countries so easily, even though they all have like pretty horrible issues of their own, and how like Norway can't be a part of the EU because they make like their whole countries like like the government financing the oil industry finances the government there. It's not the way that the uh, governments developed. It was not it's like reliant and it's cyclical and I think it's like a third of the country works on the oil rigs and like you you can't judge people for their government but whatever but it's like we find it so easy to idealize idolize what they do even though everywhere has its problems like no country is perfect but some places step up for what one lacks and therefore it makes the what is still like some things that are could still be reprehensible like the way people in sweden treat immigrants is like gross <laughs> like it's a very racist country still um but I, I've, 
most countries are so racist, but it's just like, that's been a very big issue in the last like 10 years or so. Um, because we have like family friends there and they'll tell us that like, um, there's one, one connection. <laughs> and then when we last went to Sweden, which was probably in like 2015, um, which I'm gonna call it, they were telling us about how like in a nearby neighborhood, they, there was like, there's a lot of, it's like a transition housing kind of thing for immigrants to come through. And Swedish residents like burned it down. Like they will like burned it, like lit it on fire. No harm to them. And not, and it's just like, that's still how, like that still goes on. We idolize it because it fulfills uh, the dichotomy. So like what I'm gonna be talking about essentially is false dichotomies. Oh my God, sweet corgi baby. But gotta pause for a second. But basically the thing that kind of comes to head with Lulu Miller is she's like, oh, I really like wanted to under, why she pursued this understanding, this research of David Sir Jordan was because she really admired initially how he could shape meaning, how he could do so much and be so innovative with taxonomy and understanding the world, expansions of the time, because he was just like a big name. And so when she goes in depth and understands how influential he was with eugenics, she like becomes more and more disgusted with somebody that she once on a pretty fundamental level was deeply inspired and moved by. Um, kind of going to the whole potential thing. And because she, when she first starts researching him, she starts the beginning of his life, which just feels like a pretty natural thing. But if you just stop there, then you don't realize how steadfast he is in the horrible uh, like lack of human rights that he applies to his life. And he just kind of like gets deeper and deeper, it seems. I haven't read the last chapter, which is apparently about how his life ends. So, like, at the very end, so we'll see if the changes. I do not expect it to. But how he's just like, oh, people are unfit. They're feeble-minded. It is genetic, and I will force sterilization, which, note, and somewhat, of course, because it's the United States, um, the majority of forced sterilization was on women of color. And it's like... Well, it's only 60,000, like, documented in a small time frame. And a lot of the laws that were put in place in states that were saying, if you have been arrested, if you, if you were raped, <laughs> then you will be sterilized after because you have an unfit bloodline because it's your fault that you were raped. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you are a victim of incest rape, then it's still your fucking fault. <laughs> and <laughs> it's insane. But some of those laws still exist, so sometimes people are still bribed with, like, lesser sentences if they get sterilized because they didn't, like, make forced sterilization illegal. It just sort of fell out of practice. So some states do still have those (laughs) rules in place. Um, And they sterilize a third of Puerto Rico. And, like, these practices of sterilization, as she notes in the book... um, are like directly adopted by uh, Nazi Germany. And there's a guy who 
Like, I, I, I don't remember his name because I don't care about these fuckers and they all have the same four names rotated between first and last name anyway. Um, it's like George, James, David, Jordan. Okay, cool. Pick a new fucking name. Um, anyway. <laughs> That's a little aggressive. But I digress. Um, and he was like, oh, the Germans are beating us at our own game. You know? Because <laughs> it was just like, it was the mode. <laughs> the thing to do was to believe you were innately better than someone that like the latter existed um, and I will talk about this a lot more in season 3 is uh, oh gonna butcher his name finally I asked for someone a, a white man with a different name um, and then I think it's like Johan Smuts Smuts he's the first like, quote unquote like president of South Africa and big eugenics guy uh, calls it natural because there's like mountains he's like and we hold a meeting on this mountain so we are the top of the food chain and people who weren't invited who just happen to be down like and it's like you're the dumbest motherfucker I ever met and the idea of like let me say it again <laughs> heritability of morality is like so laughable and I get that that is in part because I believe so wholeheartedly in moral relativity which is simply fact <laughs> like there's no beating around the bush that we all assign different morals to different things like the example I always use is that in some places the midwest talking to strangers is like a nice thing to do it's just what you do it's being polite it's in the grocery store you say oh let me squeeze right past you, you know? And you you just keep moving. And in one place in the Midwest, if you weren't to do that, you would not be following a norm. You would be rude. That would be bad. That's the moral. The same action in New York is good. Being ignored lets people live their life. That's the standard. Neither one is wrong. It's about, like, place, circumstance. It's relative. It's relative. There's no like, natural hierarchy. It doesn't mean one place is better than the other because of what you believe in. It just means it's different. And more than just being different, it's also, like, that's what enables false dichotomies of, like, applying good and bad. I think what I'm trying to, like, say and what I've been trying to say for a long time because I always harp on dichotomies. I'm like, this or that. The idea that it's, like, you could... I've talked about this before. You could have any lines. You could be, like, we are... We are, I'm outside right now. Anywhere else is inside. It probably would be easier to step up the other way, but I am. If I was in my room, I'd say, I'm inside right now. Everything else is outside of my room. That could be the whole way I look at life. And I would not be wrong. But the moral standing typically would be like, because we are so desperate to believe that what we are doing is the right thing because there is no innate meaning in life that we will moralize the place in which we stand I, if I was in my room that would be the quote unquote good place it's a very fun show, I haven't finished it so no comments, I was watching when I got my wisdom teeth pulled out, that was a fun time uh, <laughs> and anyway, I genuinely was like fine having my wisdom teeth pulled out, it was just a recovery that was a little gnarly because I was so scared of dry sockets but that's neither here nor there um, anyway, it's just, like, people do anything to uphold 
what they do. Something I talk about time and time again. And so, what this kind of like boils down to near the end of the book, and somewhere where I very heavily disagree with Lulu Miller, and obviously I just disagree with David Jordan for the most part, and I also just never really understood why she found him so amazing in the first place. Whatever. Um, like, he persevered sick. Cool. <laughs> okay. Go watch Miracle. You seen that movie? <laughs> That's real. Perseverance. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, like, I, I mean, I am or I'm not, but you know what I mean. Uh, but she gets into this whole shtick of, like, oh, have everything underlined. But... I have a lot of notes on other concepts. Oh, that's on page 158. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to... Oh, I guess I'll just read a few sections. But she said, As I drove away from their home that day, I thought about the eugenicist belief that these lives were not worthy of life. These lives were somehow a danger to society. It made me furious. And this was after she, like, spent some time with people who had been, like, forced into sterilization. And she was, because of one thing or another, and how, like, more than anything, forced sterilization forced them to act as other in society. Like, it was more, it's, like, by giving someone a marker that becomes a reminder and that becomes the routine, that becomes the identity. It was never here nor there, if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, she was just, those are, so she was spending time with these two women who have been forced into a center for feeble-mindedness, essentially. <laughs> and then were forced into sterilization. One of them literally just went to the doctor and then woke up with scars that have never like left obviously it's a scar but all across her abdomen because of forced sterilization after she had like repeatedly her whole life said like no i like she'd had heard of too many people dying there was a cemetery in the outside of the compound where they lived that was like growing all the time uh so she's like no like, i don't want to do that and then you wake up one day and no <laughs> this again removal of choice decision for who of who you are from the outside literally because you are not allowed to be and this is where I talk about like I will not go into this here I will almost definitely go into it in season three but like it's a queering of like motherhood because that was her whole identity that's what she wanted to be forever because she loved her mother so much she's like yeah I just want to be a mom and she never got to be in a traditional sense in queering she's not gay no gay rights here. I mean, there is, because Lulu Miller, pretty sure, is married to a woman. Um, slay. And... Uh, truck. Not, not beeping at me. But, whatchamacallit. Um, sorry. <laughs> I see people coming, but I just... So far in advance, it's like how I hold the door open. To, uh, hey. um, but... Oh, oh, but it's just a queering because it's like to queer is to other. That is 
if, if not traditional, then it is queered, is what I'm saying. So it's not necessarily explicitly in a, like, gay community way. Not an LGBTQ+, not the Q, in other words, but it does apply in, like, gender and sexuality studies, which is something I will talk about another time. But anyway, so she says, it made me furious, dot, 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 like two paragraphs later. I wanted to have some amazing retorts, some grand sandy way of telling him how wrong he was, him being David So Jordan, that we matter. We matter. But as soon as I'd feel my fist lifting, my brain would tug it back. Because of course we don't. We don't matter. This is the cold truth of the universe. We are specks flickering in and out of existence with no significance to the cosmos. To ignore this truth is, oddly enough, to behave exactly like David Starr Jordan, whose ridiculous belief in his own superiority allowed him to per- per- perpetrate such unthinkable violence. Um, no, it's be clear-eyed and good, capital G good, was to concede with every breath, with every step of our sig- insignificance. To say otherwise was to sin, to lie, to march oneself off toward delusion, madness, or worse. Um, an Ouroboros eating its tail, blah, blah, blah. And I disagree. I think that's only if you live in a world of good or bad Puritan value of <laughs> moral absolution, heritability of morality. Because the way that I kind of like, this is obvious, but people live in their ins and outs, their false dichotomies. So it's not. Lula Miller never gets here anyway. Um, but it's the way I explain David So Jordan, most people in this world, is in order to feel like you matter, you must believe others don't. That is so to believe that he matters, to believe that the work he's doing is good, to persevere through the chaos time and time again, to like keep doing the thing that she found to be amazing, to want the, the thing that she was sourcing for, how does he do that? How does he keep going? Um, he does it by making believe that that is the good thing. That is the choice. And rather than saying others that don't persevere, he just chooses any form of other. People who in some ways cannot persevere or have a difficult time because of the way society is structured, to which there's no innate reason why it is structured anyway. They're simply how it is. And... So to make believe like you matter, to believe, make believe that you are good, that you are doing the right thing, you must believe that others are not. That's why people rag on things they don't understand, why things that they don't believe in, why they are dismissive of them. Um, in some way or another, that is like the base of it. And I've been told like in certain cases that I'm dismissive of certain things, like if I don't have an interest in it, then I'll be like, oh, like I don't know much about that. I I don't know how I say these things, but I've just been told that I can be a bit dismissive. And the way that I frame it is like, oh, that's not how I spend my time. I don't know. I won't be able to contribute to this. (laughs) Like, why talk about it? Or I know how I feel about it. So I tell you how I feel about it. Um, And like, it's not to this extreme, but it's not necessarily about the extremism. It's kind of the point of valuing in any direction. Oh my god, the magnolias are blooming. I didn't realize that earlier. I knew that some, like, one or two I'd seen by Duke were blooming, but even in my own neighborhood. A lot more are coming. Are, are flowering. Um, 
So that's the love is and exited their home. But anyway. Uh, oh, and the note that I added for people in particular, white men of any age, of any era who decide to sterilize people to decide bodies can do things. Oh, and this was a note that I didn't finish earlier in this little episode about how people um, about what I hadn't realized until recently, despite all of my research, this was not brought up in the book, but just elsewhere, is that um, I, I didn't know, like, I knew C-sections were a thing that are is performed on people but I've seen apparently it's common for doctors to carve their initials into people's abdomens um, and to be sexually assaulted while in surgery like c-section and I knew like I knew that people women usually or just people with uterus or not uterus but the vagina um would like it's common for them to like at the morgue be as raped like they're dead bodies it's it's common <laughs> it's <laughs> common and there's all these historical examples i think it was like cleopatra like her like the woman because she was like she was a queen empress what have you all the royal terms apply in translation um I hope you heard the cough of the truck-driven guy. Sound like a cat. Terrible. <laughs> um, but her courts, if you will, um, like protected her body for days so that way nothing could happen because it's fucking disgusting. And <laughs> I would never have the words to express myself in this way other than to tell you the act and hope you get it. <laughs> to hope you get it. Um, but also in general, C-section, cesarean sections, very seldom, most things with regards to pregnancy are very seldom done to save the person who carried the pregnancy to term. It's almost always done to save the child. But with that fun note, um, Christians were against sterilization because to them, it was like, that's the same as abortion. Like, oh, you have no regard for the sanctity of life. So they kind of slave at that one. But more, they're, they're taking more of the life approach rather than the choice approach, as always. But also, side fun fact, if you did not know, for a very long time, like platonic ideals, or Plato's research, rather than platonic ideals, that's a different thing, uh, <laughs> were like just the accepted science for a very long time. Because he would literally just like, he'd hear someone had an abortion or a miscarriage, and he'd literally just like scurry over and it's like, oh, this looks like a fish. So he thought that, like, as a baby was, a fetus was developing, rather, it's not a baby, um, <laughs> it would go through, like, this quote-unquote human ladder, this evolution cycle that David Starr believed in and then didn't because Darwin proved otherwise. And he's like, ah, oh, so there's no God, but surely there is still a hierarchy. And it's like, no, there's no hierarchy, you dumbass. There's just people, there's, things just are. Things are not good at this. Is skipping ahead. Things just are. Um, but there's no good or bad. Oh, because uh, oh, okay, I'll get there. Um, but for a long time, like most religions were like, yeah, abortion's fine because it's not a human. 
it's a fish at this stage and it's like less of a fish here but that's still okay and they literally saw we were fishing that's where like abortion went but it's like so never does it actually say that this like it didn't change just your understand like the canon change the process the before and after this little liminal space of the opening of a vagina <laughs> um, doesn't change like that consumption does not change you crazy fool um anyway i clearly i'm clearly pro-choice because uh, as i've talked about before that's hard enough on its own that choice is hard enough you don't need to moralize it like in brokers you silly people but again to decide that what you're doing is right you have to moralize it because that's a hard decision and this is where i finish this one thought is the most drastic circumstances make it true, natural even. So the full thing I said is, to feel like you matter, you must make believe others don't. The most drastic circumstances make it true, comma, natural even. And what I'm saying is like, for David Starr to believe that all of the stuff he was doing as it got progressively more sketchy, possibly murdered someone, have best covered up a murder, um, like had people fired on false accusations, destroyed lives, just in the workplace to continue the research he was doing. And so to keep, and like had like personal tragedy strike, even, yeah, had personal tragedy strike many times, like having his children die in different ways. Um, he, like, he had, to, he had to, I say, he just did, he didn't have to. Horrible word choice. Um, he decided he had to. Um, I'm gonna walk the other way. Too many people on either side of the street. Um, gonna reverse it. Crazy. But um, what was I saying? Oh, so like he just had to believe. Like <laughs> he chose. I'm saying had. In his eyes, he had to. He chose to believe in eugenics to justify the extremes of the horrible choices he made the horrible decisions he made in his day-to-day life he decided for my ability to stoop this low i must do unto others to make them more lowly to like make certain their status of otherhood so that way my infractions might be fine um it doesn't make sense because it's pathetic stupid disgusting and i understand that with any especially in this conversation where i moralize anything i'll be honest i'm fine taking this stance i'm fine saying (laughs) that i don't stand in alignment with him in the slightest in any thought process he takes and i think lulu miller finds such like a divinity in his perseverance because like i said with the skewing of positive and negative traits in either direction they have the same traits she skews in a positive direction which is one that tends to be like a depressive self-critiquing and his is a delusional self-worth um a pretend greater good for which there is none like not a thing um that that's where the entry and so the point is that she kind of finishes this particular chapter i believe chapter 12 let me see 
by saying, please, please, baby girl, where is this? My sleep? My. What? Oh, God. I should have, like, bookmarked things, not just underlined them. I don't know, but she ends up by saying, like, we matter, we matter. Um, it's the dandelion effect, which is just, like, some people think dandelion's a weed. Some people think it's, like, an herbal thing. Moral relativity, in other words, uh, in a grander sense, but also just literally, like, people have different meanings because of different contexts, because of lived experience, no shit. The dandelion effect, yeah, we can call it that, that's fine. But she's like, we matter, the dandelion effect, because I think we matter, so we matter. And it's like, you're, like, kind of almost there, babes. Um... <laughs> Uh, and I don't mean to ridicule someone, but again, this is kind of case in point with any emotion. It's, it's to solidify my own understanding, so I'm solidify or represent to back my own lived experience the way I've had to get here. It makes sense that I would be a little blunt <laughs> about these things. Um, not saying that it's right, wrong, it's just how it is. And um, so the thing is, she was like, because with the dandelion effect. One's a weed, one's seeing it as medicinal. Um, life mattering, I had to, like just on the basis of it. Kind of, not honestly not the most thorough metaphor, but it's fine on her end. Not, I mean, mine effectively because I'm engaging with it. Um, continuing with the line of thought, acknowledging it as centered to jump off of. That is still, I do hold responsibility. Um, but she's saying, like, if he were to abandon this, to come to my side, to live in this other, to be like, oh, being outside my room is the better choice. And then you end up villainizing living inside the room. And in this case, bad example from my end, because I do agree with villainizing eugenics. I agree. I agree that's a stupid bad thing. And the, but like I always say, like, the danger in writing something off like that is to say that, like, oh, it holds no power because it is dumb, it is laughable to think that morality is inheritable. Like, that is stupid beyond words. That is the dumbest shit I've ever heard, to be frank with you. Um, but to, like, write that off is to infantilize it, to be patronizing, to act as though there's no chance of, of it happening. And in the U.S., like, Trump is a piece of shit. He's a joke. And then he became president because, uh, like, people who are able to recognize that didn't take it seriously because that's how you keep it down. But to, you know, like, that doesn't mean that it won't have power <laughs> um, just because it's silly. And I don't want to call it silly because there's real effects, you know? Um, but that's kind of that's what she's saying, though. It's like, oh, if he would come to the other side, how could he not let go of these beliefs? How could he not, when so many, when time and time again, he had to question them and had to adjust, and yet he still found this way through of, like, self-belief, of this weird perseverance, this weird grit, and the book's terms grit explained um, in depth as a phenomenon, jargon, uh, whatever, whatever. Um, but he says or she says sorry about him, that to do so would have been too disorienting. It would have been chaos. And that's something that, like, 
this idea of pushing through chaos. So she always refers to, but she's saying that like everything would always be chaos because he's creating a false order. Like a truly false, like there's no ladder. There's none. There isn't. Get it out of your head. There's no hierarchy. There's no pyramid. You dumbass, get it out. Um, <laughs> and uh, like the thing I say is like, it is anyways, regardless of if you're engaging with it as he does or as she does, which in either way is still to create a dichotomy as an attempted sense of order. There is nothing. <laughs> like just because you are being delusional, does not mean that chaos is not there. And when it penetrates your life and you continue with the stories you tell yourself, the narratives which you've appropriated from lived experience, then <laughs> you cling to them harder in the face of chaos, usually. And when you cling to these things harder, usually to enable yourself to stay there, like David <laughs> Sarr Jordan did, you will do worse things. Because the severity and the gap of your perceived reality and the reality you felt is so grand that you need to act upon it. You need to feel control by enabling the same kind of chaos that has been done unto you. But if you just don't cling to narratives, if you just unpack them, then you don't do any of that shit. Then you're just like, it is what it is. I'll change what I can and live my life. I'll unwind the anger. <laughs> I'll <laughs> do, do what I can. And that's, that's that. Instead of forcing a false godliness with your privilege um, because that you are out of control once and it just is and as she says it's in, na- in the name of the quote unquote, the quote unquote the lovely warm feeling of significance <laughs> like uh, we're not significant we're not insignificant false dichotomy we just exist. She's like, why do we keep going? It's for the people. It's because we matter. And it's like, no, we exist. <laughs> We're here. So we deal with it. We deal with it. Like, any, and this is why I believe all words are violence because you can add not to anything. We could be like, you don't deal with it. And then you suicide. And then it's like, no, that's still how you dealt with it. Um, <laughs> but any word as like, can, it can be a characteristic to be skewed. Anything can be skewed, positive or negative. Anything could add a knot. It's, you know, um, that's my whole shtick. This is my whole, this book is my bread and butter. And I take everything a lot further. And I'm sure that other people could explain this better. I'm sure there's names for these things, but this is just what I found for myself. So please excuse any lack of like references. If there are some to be made, I generally just don't know them. This is just how I think in, in life. Oh, and also side note, um, when I was talking, when I was talking about this thing that I have now poked holes in in its own way, skewing um, the potential, uh, I, rather than skewing, I do stand by the potential thing. Skewing, a race. I did not poke holes in this thing that I'm about to say. Um, so when I was discussing potential, um, I hope... Okay, I just remembered to put my phone on Do Not Disturb because I was, I'm expecting to call a friend soon and I was just sort of like, oh, maybe I should, I don't know if it would like delete this if I, if someone called me, it's not happened, so. Yeah, but, um, 
the potential, which is kind of just something I stand by, but something I'm still exploring, so maybe I won't later. Um, is like what you do in your day-to-day, the things you curate, the routine that you practice, you are more likely to do something. Like, that's true. I mean, you can do anything you want in any given moment. That's a second is infinite. Present is all there is. Um, but uh, <laughs> that, 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 like, possibility for this is the possibility of what might occur is, like, I, I was just going to tie it into the physics <laughs> concept, I guess, phenomenon. Um, physics is so cool. Like, how do we know, like, physics and time, this uh, space and time, like, what if it's just here that the physics acts a way? That's so silly. That's so fun. Gravity is different. That's so silly. It's so fun. Woo. <laughs> um, anyway, I love physics. Um, but it's just talking about, like, potential energy, just because, like, there's there's this video of <laughs> real I'm specifically thinking of where it's like there's all these like little wooden sticks I don't remember the but uh they're like are they called depressors but it's like the tongue thing that the doctor uses to make you go ah but they're like all folded and just resting it's just resting but there's always there's potential energy in the tension and in your day-to-day life you set up tensions I guess is what I'm trying to say and the tensions exist in your routine within your own cognitive differences. And I guess that's where it's tying, again, to David Starr Jordan, where as he ignored chaos further and further and persevered in spite of without unpacking, without addressing information and intent, um, that's where like the potential energy, the potential reaction increased despite technically laying at rest of all, well, not technically, because he, he lit that fuse for the rest of his life. Obviously, <laughs> uh, motion. He stayed in motion. That bitch stayed in motion. Um, so, that is my spiel. <laughs> that, I feel like that explains a good amount of what I think about. And it's probably a pretty good lead-up into the next, into how I apply these things, the ways in which I explore them further, which is sociology of the body, later my concentration my niche of implications of the real world, or, well, implications, um, exertions, maybe more aptly, um, of concept. So, that's what I think about things. And I don't think I'm wrong. Um, but it doesn't really matter, because I'm just here. I'm just doing things. And that's it. It just is. Okay? There's no rhyme or reason. Only the things that people make, unfortunately, they'll make it their reality, which can harm or implicate other people, but it need not be yours. And so, no, the reality's not mine. I just live in the present with the trees on my little walks. Thank you. Have a nice day. Love beams. <laughs>